Oh Lord, we recognise that the world often slanders us for trusting in yourself. But nonetheless, we have come this morning to meditate upon your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us, to enlighten our minds and to change us to be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we examine your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians, which has been going on for uh, several months now, and we've finally hit chapter 4, the last chapter of Philippians, and the Apostle Paul continues to exhort the Philippians, the church that he's writing to, uh, to stand firm in the Lord. Uh, We see that there in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's been telling them to stand firm since back in chapter 1, uh, verse 27. Turn with me back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Uh, So we've been looking at all the ways that the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church in Philippi to stand firm, to be united, to contend as one man. And we've seen again and again the different ways that he is encouraging them to stand firm. But here he continues to tell them to stand firm, and he does it in such a way that he tells them uh, that he loves them. This is how he tells them in this point. How does he give the command? He tells them this command that they should stand firm because he loves them. If you look at the verses here, he tells them that he loves them in so many different ways. There's actually six different ways here in one verse to show his affection for the church in Philippi. We read, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for. He loves them and he desires them. The longing for, uh, you could translate as, I desire, that I desire you. Uh, He also tells them that they are his joy and his crown. He delights in them and that he considers the church in Philippi to be like a crown. And the crown there is the kind of crown that was uh, a crown of wreath, like a a wreath uh, that would be put upon an athlete, a winning athlete at the games or a soldier who has performed well in battle. He'd be given this crown. And so the Apostle Paul says that the church in Philippi, he considers to be like a crown for him. He delights in them. He also uses two terms there uh, which show his affection uh, at the beginning and the end of the verse. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He considers the church in Philippi to be made up of his brothers, brothers in Christ, connected to the family of God. But they're not just brothers. They're also his dear friends. They're his beloved Uh, is another way that you could translate that last word in verse 1 of chapter 4. And why is that important? Well, we understand that not all brothers are friends. They aren't as friendly as they could be, and that includes sisters. Uh, They're not as friendly as they could be. But we understand that there are people who are friends to us, and they can be even more friendly than a brother is. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says, "'There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother.'" And so the Apostle Paul, he considers the church in Philippi to be brothers, but he also considers them not just to be brothers, but to be friends, to be ones that are beloved by him. And why does the Apostle Paul speak to the Philippians in this way? Why does he give them this instruction, but surround it with all these terms of affection that he has for the church in Philippi? Well, if the church in Philippi understands that the Apostle Paul loves them, 
then they can trust that the Apostle Paul isn't going to give them some sort of instruction that will be for their detriment, that will hurt them in some way, that it will not be for their good in the long term. And so if he tells them to stand firm, and he tells them as a friend, as a brother, as someone who loves them and desires them, who delights in them and considers them to be his crown, then he's not going to tell them something that is going to be harmful for them in the long run. And then if the Apostle Paul tells them to stand firm and they understand that he loves them and so he st- and when they stand firm, his love for them will be increased, then that will be a benefit for them. That's what happens. If, if the apostle um, tells the church in Philippi that he loves them, that he desires them, that he longs for them, he, he, he delights in them and considers them to be his crown and his brothers and his friends, then if they stand firm, what will happen? Well, the Apostle Paul will be encouraged, won't he? As he sees them standing firm, he's he's delighted in them previously because they've stood firm, and now that he sees them continuing to stand firm, he'll be encouraged in his work and work all the more hard for them. And then, of course, what will happen then? They will benefit from his work. They will benefit from his increasing affection towards them and his continuing labours as an apostle for the church in Philippi. And isn't this how a pastor should behave? Isn't this how a pastor should behave towards his church, his flock? A shepherd. That's what a pastor is. It's a shepherd. It's a Greek word for shepherd. Isn't this how he should behave towards his flock? Shouldn't a pastor love his people and long for his people as he sees them standing firm in Christ Jesus? Shouldn't the church that he's pastoring be his joy and his glory, considering them to be a crown? Shouldn't the church that he is pastoring be considered his brothers, and more than brothers, his dear friends, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's what the Apostle Paul has said in other areas as well, like to the church in Thessalonica. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? So he says about the church in Philippi, but he also says about the church in Thessalonica, Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And if you look at the instructions that the Apostle Peter gives to elders of churches, he instructs them to delight in the people that are under their charge. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, which is found on page 1203. 1203. We'll read from verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Page 1203, the Apostle Peter gives these instructions to the churches and then particularly to the elders of the churches. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, be pastors of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Here you see the Apostle Peter encouraging the the pastors, the elders of churches to love their people and to consider them to be a crown of their work, that they enjoy serving the people and consider them that on the, on the day of judgment that they will be part of the crown of glory that they will receive from the Lord Jesus. 
And then if this is true, it's not just for the apostles, it's for elders as well, that when we read in chapter 4, verse 1, that this is how an elder is supposed to behave in reference to his flock, then what will happen? Well, if the pastor gives instructions to the church and he knows that the, the pastor loves them, then they will do what he says. When he tells them to stand firm in a particular way, they will respond by standing firm because they know that the pastor loves them. And then what happens? Well, if they stand firm, then that encourages the pastor in his work. He is built up in his love for the people. Isn't that what would happen? And so he would therefore keep on laboring at the work. When a pastor sees his flock standing firm, doesn't his love and longing for them grow? Doesn't his joy in them grow and his glory in them grow? And doesn't he draw closer to them as a brother and a friend? And then as he does so, as he draws closer to his flock that is under his care, doesn't that then benefit them? Because the pastor keeps on working. He doesn't quit. He doesn't roll back on some of his duties. He doesn't wind them back. No, he continues in them because he sees the results of people standing firm. And so he loves those people all the more and so works all the more diligently for them. The way we could illustrate this is with a captain, with his soldiers. Won't soldiers stand firm for their captain in the day of battle if they know that the captain loves them? They know that the captain loves them and longs to be with them on the day of battle, that he is the one who considers them to be his joy, his crown. If they serve well in battle, he will see that as his glory, his his troop fighting well, standing firm. Wouldn't soldiers fight well for their captain if they realise that the captain considers them to be his brothers, and more than that, his friends. They will stand firm. And won't that then encourage the captain, if they stand firm, to continue to love the soldiers that are under his command? And as he works harder for them because he's drawn closer to them in response to their standing firm, then that will benefit them as the captain works all the harder to make sure that they are safe and protected and looked after and know exactly what to do and therefore kept from danger. It illustrates so well, I think, the role of a pastor with his church. And I have to admit this morning that if you're a member of Des Moines Baptist, let me tell you what may not always be so obvious to you, that I do love you here at Des Moines Baptist. I do love you. And I long to be with you when I'm not. Through the week, I long for the day of worship to come. My whole week works up to this day. You consider it a weekend. My weekend starts tomorrow, my day off on Monday. This is the high point of my week, is gathering with the flock that is under my care and being with you as we worship God together. When I preach in another pulpit, I always miss being here. I always wonder what, who, who was there, what was going on, what was the message like? I listen to the sermon that's recorded afterwards to hear what was said. My heart really isn't where I am when I preach in another pulpit. My heart is elsewhere. It's here. I miss seeing you if you're not here. Every Sunday I, I look around and I'm, oh, so-and-so there. I miss you if you're not here to worship with me. And I wonder where you are and how long before you'll, you'll be back in worship with me. And I can say, hand over my heart, that I have really no desire to be a pastor of another church. I've said this to you maybe privately, 
I've said it, I think, in an AGM or two, but if you will have me, if you will have me, I will not be leaving here unless I'm incapacitated or the Lord Jesus comes and I ascend in the air to meet him. I will stay the pastor of this church if you will continue to have me. I love you. I long to be with you. You are also my joy. You are my delight. I enjoy my pastoral visits. When I meet up with you and I hear about you standing firm in the Lord, I ask you how your walk with the Lord is going. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? How are you finding things at church? I delight in hearing about how you are reading your Bible and how you are praying and how you are finding church to be an encouragement and enjoying the fellowship and the teaching that comes from the pulpit here. It gives me joy. I understand what the Apostle John says in 3 John 1 verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The Apostle John said it many years ago and it still rings true today. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You are my beloved. I long for you. You are my joy. You're also my crown. I can say that. I'm proud of you when you stand firm in the Lord. I give up investing my time in things that the world would consider to be important, to investing in you, because I see that you are my glory, you are my crown, here at Dremoyne Baptist, when you stand firm in the Lord. And I consider you to be my brothers and sisters. I consider you to be my brothers and sisters. You're my family. You're not my employers. We are a congregational church, and in one sense, you are my employers. I could be removed from office at any point by all of you coming together and voting against me. A vote of no confidence would remove me from office. You probably have it in two weeks' time. If you give, according to the Constitution, notice of two weeks in advance, I could be removed from office. So in one sense, you are my employers. But I don't see you as that. I see you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I also see you as my friends. I see that you are with me through thick and thin, and I see that I am willing to be your friend as well. You are my brother and sister. In one sense, I'm a sheep like you, and I am a friend to you. I may, may not be the kind of friend that you go to the movies with. I may not be the kind of friend that you can see every week. I only have so much time on my hands. I'm limited to 24 hours, seven days in my week, and so I can't see you every week in one sense and have a personal meeting with you every week but I do consider you to be my friend. I'm the kind of friend that is there in fair weather, but also in rainy weather, when things are tough. I'm someone that can be there for you and help you through the tough times. I really do try to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother, if you will have me. So with that in mind, what should you do here at Dremoyne Baptist? Well, hear an instruction from someone who loves you who considers you to be his joy, his crown, a brother, a friend, who longs for you, keep standing firm in the Lord. Stand firm, as it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Stand firm in the Lord. Why? Because you know that when I encourage you to stand firm, it's because I love you. And so when I advise you precisely how to stand firm... <clears throat> So you may be struggling in a particular situation, with a particular sin, a particular temptation, and I tell you how to, to stand firm in the midst of that temptation. You should want to do it because you know that it comes from a heart that loves you. 
even if it is something that is hard for you to hear, and you think otherwise, you think the pastor doesn't know what he's talking about, well, if he shows you from his word and tries to explain it to you and comes with a spirit of love towards you, then I encourage you to stand firm. Stand firm, because this is why I love you, is that you've stood firm in the past, and now I continue to love you as you will hear what I have to say, and then do it. And then if that happens, if you stand firm, what happens? Well, you encourage me in my work, and the other elders of this church who love you as well. You encourage them to keep working with joy. When I see you standing firm, what happens? I love you more. I long for you more. I delight in you more. I glory in you more, and I consider you to be more a brother and more a friend than ever before. Whereas if you do not stand firm, what happens to me as a pastor of the sheep here, as a shepherd of the sheep? Well, I I must admit, I struggle to love you when you're not standing firm. I struggle to spend time with you, to long for you. I struggle to delight in you. I struggle to consider you my glory when I see you bowing under the pressure of sin. And I struggle to consider you a brother and a friend when I see you hear advice from me and then disregard it and plunge into sin. It's a struggle. If you don't believe me, ask Jill, my wife, what causes me more sleepless nights than anything else in my life? It's people who are not standing firm in the church. When I see them bowing to the pressure of sin, it causes me sleepless nights and steals the joy in my life. When I see people causing conflict, when I see people ignoring advice, when I see people absent from worship, it worries me and takes away my joy because I fear that they're not standing firm as they should be. But if you do stand firm, and this is why I love you, because you do stand firm so well here at Dremoyne Baptist, I rejoice and I persevere in the work here. I love to be your pastor. And don't think of resigning because I see you standing firm. And the sleepless nights are not so common because I see you standing firm in the Lord. And then what happens? If you stand firm, I'm encouraged, I keep working. And then what happens? If I keep working, well, then you benefit, don't you? You benefit from my labours that persist, that I keep on being here as your pastor and helping you in your walk with the Lord. And that's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them, obey your leaders... Why? So that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's no advantage to you if my labours are not a joy. But if my labours are a joy for me, then it is an advantage for you. The more you stand firm, the more I love you, the more I will work for you, and the more then you will grow in the Lord and continue standing firm and then the more we will all rejoice together in unison in the Lord. So there are some reasons for you to stand firm. But why else should you stand firm? Why else should you stand firm? From chapter 4 verse 1, what else can we get from this verse about why you should stand firm? Well, I'll give you another reason. You should stand firm because Jesus, the good shepherd, 
the ultimate pastor, the ultimate elder, he loves us. He loves us. Do you realise that Paul's words here about the Philippians and my words that I've expressed this morning about you at Dremoyne Baptist, that they are simply shadows of the reality of the good shepherd's words about you. That these words can be said about the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. What did God say about in Isaiah about his people? Turn with me back there. We had that read for us before from Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62, verse 1. Page 740 if you have a church Bible. What does God say about his people here? Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch till she stands firm. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor, a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. God glories in his people. He considers them to be his crown. And then verse 4, No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. Hephzibah, if you follow the margin, the little letter A, means my delight is in her. My joy is in her. My joy is in my people, is what God is saying. And Beulah, it means married. His family. God is family with his people. He is married to them. And then verse 4 continues. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. There you go. There's the translation for you. Hephzibah and Beulah. Verse 5. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Very clear in Isaiah that what is said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, are the words of the Lord Jesus to all his people. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, think of the Lord Jesus speaking here. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says to us, Therefore, my brothers, amazing, the Lord Jesus says, You are my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. We are his friends. We are his brothers. We are his joy. We are his crown. We are loved by him and he longs for us. So what should we do? Stand firm. That's what we should do in response to his love. Why? Because we know that if he gives us a command, it is out of love for us. He won't tell us to do something that will hurt us in the long run. It may hurt us in the short term, but in the long term, it will be for our benefit. We trust him. We may not understand why we should do that. We read God's word and it commands us to do something. And we're like, oh, I'm not sure. It looks kind of painful to me. But we know that he loves us. And so we will do it. We will stand firm, knowing that it is for our good that our captain has given us this command. And then what happens? Well, we encourage the Lord to draw closer to us. 
As I said before, if you stand firm, as, if I'm as your pastor, I tell you to stand firm, and you do stand firm, what does that mean? I draw closer to you. I delight in you more as I see you standing firm. What happens if you stand firm as the Lord Jesus tells you to stand firm? Well, he draws closer to you by the Spirit. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You stand firm, he will come near to you. And what will that mean? What happens if I tell you to do something and you know it comes from love and then you stand firm and then I draw closer to you and love you all the more? It benefits you. So what will happen if you hear the Lord Jesus commanding you to stand firm and you stand firm and then he draws near to you as you draw near to him? It benefits you. As the Lord Jesus draws closer to you by his spirit, you benefit from his presence. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. As you're standing firm, there may be pain, but it's in the presence of your captain, your shepherd. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. I will fail to love you at times. I will not be able to meet with you when you think I should be able to meet with you. My advice may not be the best advice. I may not show that I love you by my words and actions. You may get offended by me. But the Lord Jesus never fails to love you perfectly. He never fails to love you perfectly. And so stand firm for his sake. Stand firm for my sake too and for the elders of the church. When they encourage you to stand firm, it is a great blessing to us and then it's therefore a great blessing to you. But primarily, stand firm because the Lord Jesus loves you. And if you're not a Christian, understand what that then means. You're not standing firm in the Lord. What does that mean? You are not Christ's beloved. You are not Christ's beloved. You are not his longing. You are not his joy. You are not his crown. You are not his brother and friend. Jesus, if you are not standing firm, if you are not one of his people, Jesus hates you. Jesus longs to be away from you, which is what will happen when you're put into hell. Jesus is angered by you and your sin. You are not his glory. You are not his crown. You are shameful. You are a creature that he has made and then has rebelled against him. You are a disgrace. You are not his crown. You are Christ's enemy rather than his brother. He has disowned you from his family. And he's certainly not your friend. May it not be. Come to Christ now. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come to him in repentance. Admit your sin, that you have not stood firm as you should have. You have not stood in the Lord at all. You have not trusted in him for salvation. Come to him. Trust in him. Admit your rebellion against him. And if you do, you can enjoy being the object of Christ's love the King of kings and Lord of lords, he will say about you, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, my brother, my sister, my friend, and you will benefit from his love. 
And then, when you draw near to God, draw near to a pastor of a local church, to some elders, to some shepherds, draw near to them and enjoy being the object of a pastor's love and affection and benefit from him and his labours for you as you draw near to him. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not standing firm in the Lord as we should. We ask that you would help the elders of this church always to love and long for their church members. May the members here be their joy and their crown, their brothers and their friends. And so may the people of Dremoyne Baptist stand firm for their elders' sake, so that they are encouraged in the work and benefit from the labours of their elders. But Lord, may we always see our pastors as really shadows of you, the true pastor, the good shepherd. And so may we always stand firm because we know you and adore you. You are the one who loves us. You are the one who longs for us. You are the one who has made us your joy, your crown, your brothers, your friends. And so, Lord, we pray that we would stand firm because we know that that instruction comes from one who loves us. And, Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not a part of your people, oh, Lord, show them your love now. Lord, we pray that they would fear to be your enemies and want to be your brother, sister and friend. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant them repentance and faith. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.